Well, hello, Highland Park. It's good to see you. Hey, thanks. If, uh, if you're one of the people who thinks I've either lost weight or gained weight, I'm actually just not wearing glasses. Uh, no weight change. Um, but it's been a while. It's been 10 weeks uh, since I've been with you. Uh, if, if you did not know, then as part of my 20th anniversary here at Highland Park, um, uh, I got to enjoy a 10-week sabbatical uh, this, uh, this past summer, and I wanted to share just a little bit about it because I know lots of you had questions about it, and it actually leads into today's sermon quite nicely, and partly I just wanted to say thank you by telling you just a little bit uh, about it. Um, one of the reasons I quickly accepted the offer of the elders to take the sabbatical were there's a, a couple of challenges that people in ministry face, and one of them is... Um, Everybody has tough jobs and stressful jobs, and in that way, my job isn't any different. Um, but a couple of the differences would be in that if, if a kid has a, a dad or a mom who works to, at, a, at a car lot and sells cars their entire life, and sometimes the car lot demands too much of them, and they spend too much time there, and it adds to their stress level, and they call them to come in sometimes late at night, that kid might grow up being a little bit bitter about cars, and that's okay. But if a kid grows up bitter about church, that's not okay. And I have too many ministry friends who have kids who feel some bitterness about church. That's a dangerous thing for the rest of their lives. And so on behalf of my family, I want to say thank you. I've never felt at Highland Park that I had to choose either the church or my family. It's one of the greatest blessings about this place, so thank you. Another reason I quickly said yes was because one temptation that's really unique in ministry, or if you are a, a Bible teacher, or if you write books, or articles, or preaching, then there's this temptation, this ugly temptation to every time you read scripture to write a sermon in your head, that every time that you should just be letting God speak to you. You're thinking about how can I say this to somebody else? How can I write this? Or how can I lead a staff meeting or a leadership retreat or preach a sermon or teach a lesson? And that's an ugly temptation because God wants to speak to all of us. And I think it's why preachers burn out quickly sometimes because their spiritual life becomes hollow. It all becomes about someone else. And so I preached one time over the, these 10 weeks at a friend's church. It was helpful to him. And it was honestly a sermon I had already preached five weeks earlier here. And other than that, I did zero output. I, I, I think it's fine to take a sabbatical and do something and get a master's or, or write a book or do some things. But I just felt for me, and I shared this with our leadership, that I felt like God was calling me to not be in output mode at all for 10 weeks. And by and large, I think I accomplished that, and my soul feels very rested. And so again... I say thank you for that. I, I spent lots of time praying and reading, um, memorizing, journaling, a lot of time walking or jogging, and I pray better when I move usually. Um, spent lots of time with family, and um, the first, about the first 10 days were probably the busiest, and I knew it was going to be that way. I spent the first 10 days doing lots of stuff with my book that I had kind of shoved off until the sabbatical began, but um, I, I, the book that I wrote came out May, I think, 21st, and I had kind of loaded 
all kinds of stuff to happen right after the sabbatical began. So I had about 10 days where I was doing lots of interviews, uh, radio stuff, podcast stuff. And it was kind of cool to hear lots of questions that people had for me. The most interesting one was on a podcast from a guy who was just a little bit cynical. And he said, do you really think there's any hope for the world? And he was serious. He's like, I don't see it. And I'm like, I get where, what you're saying. Like, we're in a really polarized culture. We see it all around us. We see it close by. We see it in the headlines. We see it all over the place. But I said, if I didn't believe that there was hope, I really wouldn't have wasted my time uh, with that computer typing so many words in. <laughs> that, it would have been a waste of time because I believe that God is still in the business of changing hearts. And if he chose Saul on his road to Damascus and transformed his life, he can transform my life and your life and people's lives who are at animosity. If God can bring the, the Jews and the Samaritans together into one church, then he can still do that today with people who are very different. And so uh, I'm not expecting my book to release and the whole culture and the whole world to change. But what I do believe is that God can use small things, a whole lot of small things, to change people's hearts that then end up maybe doing some big things. I I was encouraged to hear uh, a, a lady who actually spoke to my wife, and she had bought two copies of my book, one for her, one for her dad. She had not spoken to her dad since the election. Like, oh. I, I heard uh, of an eldership that bought the book because their church was facing some difficult times, and they wanted to figure out how do we pursue truth and peace at the same time, so the eldership was working through the book. heard about a nonprofit that was asked this question with an agenda behind it that they had to answer, and their department decided to read the book before answering together so that they could just be equipped with some of the biblical principles that I, that I unpack in the book. And so I'm encouraged by that to know that God is doing some of the things that we've been praying for as a church family with other places and continue to do so. And so, again, I say thank you for that. After those a uh, couple days really working on book stuff. I got away from that, and we got to see some beautiful places. Got to see New Mexico. Um, had never spent time there, but spent time there with Beth and Levi and a, and a really good friend of mine. That's a sunset at a mountain just minutes from my friend's house, and uh, it was just beautiful. Uh, we got to spend some time in Colorado with our family and also extended family and spiritual family. And as you know, Colorado is just a beautiful place. Um, I spent a couple days with some of our grade school kids at Sunset Bible Camp, and probably most people don't do that on their sabbatical, but my daughter was there, and she's really cute, so it was awesome. <laughs> and the other, we had a, a great group of kids there. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I got to see and connect with some friends and some people uh, that I don't always get to see at a, at a conference where Sharabi and I got to go. We got to see uh, Chris and Jessica Wilson and their son, Ben, Chris was in the youth group when I was youth minister here years ago, and um, I, I got to be part of uh, Chris and Jessica's wedding, and uh, they're in Indianapolis now. He's a brain surgeon now. He's really smart, um, and Jessica is just as smart, and I love that we just got to sit down for like two hours and talk about their faith and their family and dealing with the hospital pressures and still being a dad and husband. It was just really great to connect with them, really proud of their lives, and they're actually uh, plugged into a church with a guy that I played basketball with in high school and then went to college with, so that's, that was really cool. I didn't even realize that until we were talking uh, about all that. Um, we got to see Vivert and Neelam Lal. Um, they are missionaries we support uh, in India, and they're, they're there with my daughter, and, and they just want to say hello to Highland Park. They say hello, thank you for supporting them for all these years. 
Um, and so they said, hello. One, uh, we, we had one scare, but we got to see something beautiful as a result of that. We'd only been in Colorado for like 24 or 48 hours when this happened. And it was about 20 miles from where we were staying. And so we actually got a phone call. Uh, we were staying in a house with all of my family and extended family, everybody kind of together. And we got a, it was the only call we got on a landline. And we picked it up and it said, be prepared to evacuate. This is not an evacuation, but be prepared. So we were like, okay, we need to start thinking through all these things. Is there gas in the car? Do we have water if water gets shut off? Um, all those kind of things. So um, the way this fire started was there was a gun range and a couple people went and they were shooting um, automatic weapons and they put tracer bullets in there so they could see, kind of lights up as they go. Um, but those were banned because of the dry conditions, but they ignored that ban and shot anyway, and that's what actually started, and it quickly turned into 5,000 acres of fire with 0% containment. When I was looking at that number, I couldn't even get my head around how big that was and thinking, 0% containment does not sound like a good number. And so uh, in that picture, that's a, you can't really tell because it's blurred out, but that's a Whole Foods grocery store that looks really small compared to the fire behind it. And there's a road right behind that Whole Foods, and because of God's grace and the work of a whole bunch of incredible firemen, firefighters, they were able, it, that store in that city did not burn, but they thought they might lose the whole thing. And if it would have crossed that road, we would have been evacuated at that point. So really the only negative for us was we kind of, smelled like we were at a campfire all week because the smoke kind of settled on the valley. Um, but we were, uh, had just stopped by the sporting goods store just to look around, and we were having this conversation, and uh, we were talking about ministry, uh, and I noticed when we said the word ministry, one of the employees like kind of looked up at us. And, um, and I walked over and just introduced myself, and, and we began talking, and he said, are you, are you all Christians? And we said, yes. And and uh, I just began asking him about that area of Colorado. And I said, what's the spiritual life here? And he said, about 5% Christian. And the rest of everybody else is either atheist or they just kind of worship creation and, uh, instead of the creator. And so we began talking. And he said, why don't you come to my church if you're going to be here? And we're like, we would love to. And one of my favorite things about traveling is just seeing what God is doing somewhere in the world. And I thought, this is a great opportunity. So we all went to... Um, his church uh, on Sunday, he um, is volunteers there in a prison ministry and uh, is part of their singles group and just uh, involved a lot. It was an uh, interesting church, to say the least, in that just the demographic was very different, um, kind of a rich mountain man feel to it, I guess. <laughs> but man, those people love the Lord, and um, just to hear them sing and an incredible biblical sermon, but at the end of the time, they had a prayer time, and the whole valley was so angry at the two people for causing this fire, because some houses had been lost, so much land had been lost, and I, I was reading how people were calling for their pictures to be released everywhere, and, and I quote, so they could shun and shame them publicly. They wanted to know who it was. And they wanted to shame them and shun them and get their revenge just verbally on them. And that church, right in the middle of that valley, the 5% of believers that day offered their forgiveness for these people and prayed for them. And I thought, that's the church. You know, when everybody else says, you know, we want to get our revenge, uh, the church says, 
You know, we're, we're okay with how justice plays out. There's, a, you know, there's charges and all that stuff. We're okay with justice, and, and we pray for God's wisdom in that, but we also pray for the forgiveness of these people, and we forgive them, and we pray for their hearts, and we want to be compassionate to those who lost their homes and to the people who started the fire. And I thought, that's the church, being countercultural and sticking out like a sore, beautiful thumb. I loved it. And so it was good to see what God is doing in different places and um, just thank you. And so Elijah, if there was ever somebody who needed a sabbatical, it was him. I picked this text before I even went on sabbatical, tried to plan out a couple weeks. So when I got back, I could, I could not be completely just in chaos. But I knew this text would be good. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. And I just believe that this text um, helps me understand my time a little bit. But I, I really believe it will help you understand your life a little bit and offer some help to you. Because I know some of you come here feeling a little bit like Elijah, feeling a little bit weary. And my prayer has been that I'll remember how to preach. I kind of felt this morning like I was preaching my first sermon. My prayer every Sunday morning is that I'll preach like it's my last sermon. So I don't know how that's going to come out today. Um, so bear with me. So God, w- God had taken care of Elijah a lot. And if you read through 1 Kings... He had done some miraculous things to care for Elijah. He even sent a raven, like as his own personal waiter, that brought, like, delivered him food one time. And uh, just before we get to today's text, uh, Elijah had a run-in with King Ahab. Now, King Ahab was one of the worst kings in Israel's history. He was wicked. He was married to a lady named Jezebel. There's a reason that you probably don't have many friends named Jezebel because she was just a wicked, awful person, and she had blood all over her hands. The two of them not only just, you know, were arrogant to, to God, but they oppressed people, mistreated people. They even murdered a man because they liked his vineyard, and so they stole all that this man had, and then they murdered him. <coughs> Excuse me. And they were just awful. And Elijah challenged Ahab to basically a battle of whose God is real. And it was on Mount Carmel, and, and it was kind of like a competition of whose God will show up and deliver fire right here so that everyone can see who's worshiping the real God. And, of course, we know how that story is going to go. Um, the real God shows up. King Ahab's false prophets obviously are let down and shown to be fools. And... A, or Elijah has this great victory. In fact, it says he's so full, he's full of the spirit, and when the competition is over and Elijah has won, Ahab gets in his chariot and rides back to his palace, but Elijah outruns his chariot like 25 miles, like a marathon. So the guy is hyped. <laughs> he's in a, in a, I imagine when he's running, he's thinking, now everything's going to change. Now Ahab's going to repent and change. He's going to quit killing innocent people, and he's going to quit, you know, threatening my life and the life of the believers, and the whole nation is going to turn around. It's going to be this wonderful thing, and he's full of hope, and then it doesn't quite play out that way. So that's what brings us right to our text, because Elijah is a man who stepped directly from the wondrous heights of Mount Carmel into the dark, bleak canyon of despair. Some of you find yourselves there. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. 
and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel, and those were the false prophets, so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. So she's still like swearing on the gods who have proven to not even be gods. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom brush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, and he touched him and said, get up and eat. For the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. So there's this spectacular little story right here that is just dripping with implications. First of all, you probably caught that little phrase, 40 days, 40 nights. That shows up in the Bible a few times. You think about Jesus in the wilderness and God providing for his needs. Uh, There's just dripping with all types of stuff. But I want to just really turn our attention this morning to this idea of the actual story. Elijah was weary. I don't know if he was suicidal or not, but he at least was just ready to die. He was ready to give up. He was so depressed and so low because he thought everything was going to change. And then you've had a bubble pop before in your life where you thought here's how it's going to play out and then it did not play out anything like that the job didn't play out that way the family didn't play out that way your your education didn't play out that way everything changed reality hits and Jezebel says I'm going to kill you and the text could literally be translated Elijah saw in other words he saw what was coming He saw Jezebel was going to try to kill him. So he takes off and he just runs. And at this point, we're talking 70 miles or so that he takes off and just running away. I don't know that he really cared where, just running away to try to get away from Jezebel and death. And he finally ends up at this, this brush, this shrub. It's called a broom tree. I found a picture of a broom tree up here. Do we see it? There it is. That's actually the, what, thank, thank Google for that. It's the first thing that showed up when I saw it. Um, but here's a, here's a real broom tree. Um, you can see why it's called a shrub. Your Bible might say shrub, might say tree. I've got a couple more pictures of it. Um, it's just kind of a depressing little tree. Um, I'm kind of thinking it's the perfect tree to go to if you're depressed, right? Because it's even like a good place to have a pity party, you got to move every five minutes just to stay in the shade. And broom trees are kind of loners, aren't they? I looked at a whole bunch of pictures of these, and I never saw two of them together. It's, it's the farthest thing removed from, like, hey, welcome to our resort. Here's the front picture for our flyer. You're not going there. 
And that's where Elijah went, the depressing little broom tree. And he lays under and he says, I'm done. I don't even know if my life is counted for anything. I'm no better than any of my ancestors or anybody else. We don't even know hardly anything about Elijah's ancestors. We just know he was so down he thought, I'm nothing. And some of you have laid down and said, has my life counted for anything? Does anything even matter? What's all of this effort been for? For nothing? There's nothing more depressing than that thought. And we ask ourselves, I thought I would be somewhere now. I thought things would be better now. And there's this abiding sense of failure that sneaks up on us. And even worse, it's usually just draped like a wet blanket in loneliness. Feeling like, here I am alone, underneath this tree, me and the wilderness, and nobody even cares that I'm here. Do you feel that this morning? Have you felt that? If you, if you don't feel it this morning, I know you felt it at some point in your life. We all end up underneath the tree at some point. I have some good news for you. If you're there today... There's a number of reasons why you could be there, but I want to offer the most simple explanation, and then we'll get to the more serious and deeper ones. And I don't, Serious isn't the right word. There may be deeper ones. It could be that you just need a nap. I'm being serious. One of the wisest men, a professor uh, at Ozark Christian College and now is at Lincoln Seminary, who's written books about like spiritual disciplines and fasting and prayer, and he's just this thoughtful and has this kind of methodical voice that could almost put you to sleep except what he says is so good you hang on every word and he used to say sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap jk jones used to say that and still does a lot because sometimes we're just worn out we kind of treat ourselves like we're the energizer bunny like i can just beat my little drum and keep on going and going and going and going and going and it's not true because we need to recharge sometimes. You remember this past winter, we spent a good amount of time talking about the soul. Let me just recap what the soul is. Your soul. Your soul is your person. It's all of you. When a when hundred souls perish in some type of tragedy, that means all of them perish. That's what the newspaper article is trying to say. It's not saying that they just died emotionally. It's saying they died. And we know that there's life beyond this. But I'm saying here's what the Bible says your soul is. Your Bible is your spirit, which if you've come to know Jesus, involves the Holy Spirit. Your soul is your, your mind and your heart, your intellect, all the emotions. Your, and your soul also encompasses your friendships, your social life. Because if your relationships aren't good, do you feel happy today? And your soul also encompasses your physical body. All of those things are encompassed in your soul. That's who you are. And if one of those things is out of whack and somebody says, how are you? You say, I'm kind of struggling. Because your soul has been impacted. And, and Elijah comes to this place and his soul is weary. I actually think it's all of him that's been impacted at this point. And that's when you're really cratering, when all of those things are weary. 
But sometimes we just need to realize God made my body a certain way, and I ought to be wise and a good steward of that body and realize that sometimes I need to take care of it a little bit more than I do, and I'm not an energizer bunny, and I can't just keep going, 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 going. I have a friend who mentors and coaches preachers, and he's, he's really good at it, and he, he'll take a few guys, a uh, few ladies at a time, and kind of work through ministry stuff with them, people who are church leaders. But you know what he especially makes preachers do? He says, if I'm going to mentor you, and we're going to enter into this, first you have to sign a contract and make an agreement, and here's what you're going to do. You're going to hire a nutritionist to talk about your diet and what you're eating, you're going to hire a personal trainer and talk about exercise, and you are going to take my list of things to optimize your sleep. And once you've done all the, those three things, then I'll start talking to you. Like, whoa, it's kind of harsh. <laughs> but because he knows that sometimes preachers, like everybody else, get really, really busy, and we end up with all this emotional baggage, or we're just feeling really weary, and really what we need is to kind of take care of ourselves just a little bit better, because that's the part of our soul that's really out of whack. I find that to be pretty wise, actually. And I, I thought about how tired our world is, and we don't really help ourselves much, do we? I mean, we, we have so many things, you know, that we buy or that we spend time on for the purpose of chilling or just hanging out, entertainment, and it ends up actually robbing our soul of what it needs to recharge. You know, the, the researchers say you shouldn't really be looking at your phone one to two hours before you go to sleep. It actually messes up your sleep pattern, other than like setting your alarm. But if you're like scrolling and surfing, there's stuff with the lights, there's stuff with how your brain works. It says read a book or talk to somebody or pray. Hmm, imagine that. Um, there, there's all these different studies that you go back and like, oh, well, that kind of makes sense. That's kind of how mankind used to do things. And yet we, we fill up ourselves and our schedules with all of this stuff that we don't have to do. One of the things I learned a couple of years ago, I really tried to practice it during the sabbatical, was um, anytime I have a day off. So if I, next week, if I've got Saturday off, then I try to be really wise about I've just kind of made up this phrase, but I try to Sabbath well. And I've thought about what that means. And what that means for me, and I would guess it means for you, to have a day where you actually recharge in your life, is to make a real loose schedule for yourself. Don't, don't, don't like tight, pack it all tight, because that doesn't feel like Sabbath rest at all if you're going from one thing to another. But you know the things that recharge your soul. Going for a walk, or having a little extra prayer time, or meeting with a friend for lunch, or, you know, spending, you know, set aside 30 minutes, I'm going to read a book that I've been wanting to get to. And what, what kind of stuff will recharge your soul? And if you actually make kind of a loose little game plan, what I found is that I'm able to Sabbath. I'm able to go through that day, and when I'm done, I feel rested. I may even ride in, take a nap, or go to bed early. Because if I don't do that, you know what happens? I end up doing stupid stuff that I kind of regret that I wasted my whole day doing. You know, we can spend a whole lot of hours kind of vegging, but vegging isn't actually rest. You know, you can, you can do something like, you can watch a TV show, you can check social media, but that can end up being like our entire day. And that's really not how God created us to recharge, to rest, to Sabbath in him. There's a, 
uh, a lot of verses in the Bible that we should pay attention to. Um, one of the ones that, that I like was uh, the psalm that says uh, how God shines his favor and loves, our, 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 to those God loves, he gives rest. And I thought, does that mean God doesn't love parents of newborns? Because Connor and Allie just had that little baby boy, and I'm thinking, well, no, God still loves them too. But we go through these seasons of life, right? I remember in 2009 when we adopted in July and gave birth uh, to, uh, in, in November, so two daughters added to us, and our, our youngest daughter did not sleep real well at night, so we had a, a baby who was waking up every few hours, and um, our older daughter, whom we adopted, um, we used to joke was jet-lagged for about three years. <laughs> um, she would come in at 2.30, can we go on a car ride? Um, no. <laughs> but she's just full of energy, ready to go, take on the day, and I remember, I Actually, I say I remember. What I remember is I don't remember a whole lot about that year, just to be real honest. There's a whole lot of fogginess about for like a year. And you have patches of your life that you go back and you think, man, I don't remember a whole lot about that. I bet you were tired. I bet you were weary and worn down. And there's seasons like that. And I think as a church, one of the things we're going to talk about this fall is how do we love people in their different seasons of life, their different phases of life? How do, how do we love the people who I am at a place now where it's so wonderful I don't really remember what it's like to be tired all the time, but some of you are tired all the time. It's your phase and season of life, and I need to have compassion to you. And we need to figure out how do we care for one another. Because God created us. He said, I want you to recharge and to Sabbath and to know that you can rest in me. I want to just mention three quick things that I see from this text that if you come weary today, I want you to remember these three things, and they're just really, really easy. The first thing is this, God is near. The second thing is, God cares. And the third thing is, God helps. God is near, God cares, God helps. Think about this story. Where is God when Elijah is, is underneath the broom tree saying, I just want to die? He's right there. In fact, the text says that Elijah said to the Lord. He even knew God was there. Even in his little temper tantrum, in, in him feeling down. I mean, Elijah's prayer is not one I want you to take home and start praying every night. Okay? The Bible is just raw and tells it like it is, and it's one of the things I love about the Bible. But when Elijah is here and just all down and out, God is right there. And God is with you in your struggle. One of the most beautiful things about Jesus is he says, when you suffer, I don't move away from you. When you suffer, I'm right there in your suffering with you. Because I understand what it's like to suffer. Because I've suffered like no man has ever suffered. And I've suffered because I love you. And so when you suffer, God is right there with you. Does he always answer it exactly like you prayed? No, you know that. Sometimes he says, I, I need you to wait for a while. Or I'm going to redirect your prayer this way. Sometimes he answers it exactly like you pray, and it is incredible. But regardless of how God answers your prayer, he is right there with you. He is near. And if you are weary today, I want to remind you of that. God is with you in your suffering. And God cares 
I mean, God could have said, like, uh, I think I'll just, uh, you know, Elijah, enough already. For real, how many times have I saved you, and here you are again? That's not what God does. He cares. And he cares for me, even though I'll keep complaining. And for you, when you keep complaining, he still cares for us. He cares enough that he did not just give Elijah cold bread. Did you catch that? It was baked on coals. Is there anything better than the smell of baked bread? I, I just lost you all because now you're going to Panera right after, right? <laughs> it smells so good. And God cares enough that he didn't just give him cold bread. He baked the bread for him. Sent an angel, wakes him up and said, hey, here's, here's lunch. I know that you've been running uh, doing this ultra marathon thing without eating, without stopping. Here's some bread. Here's a cold drink in this hot wilderness. Eat it. Drink it. And then what does the angel let him do? He eats and he drinks and then what does he do? He lays back down. That's when you know you're really tired, right? Like when you get up and you have breakfast and you go back to bed. It's like the best day ever. It only happens to me like once every decade, but it's the best. Because usually now I'm old enough that if I wake up, I can't go back to sleep, you know. Welcome to old age, Brian. But Elijah's so tired, he eats, and then he just lays right back down. And God lets him. It's amazing. I don't know how, we don't know how long he sleeps there, but eventually the angel wakes him back up and said, you should eat a little bit more. Because you get a long journey ahead of you. We're going to talk about where Elijah ends up here in a couple weeks. Um, uh, where God addresses some of the more spiritual things going on uh, in his life. But for right here, God, God cares for him, and God helps him. He helps him. Elijah's not going to make it without the bread and water. He really is just probably going to lay under that tree and die. But God comes and he helps. And God sees you in your weariness, whatever is troubling your soul, and he is near and he cares for you. Oh, my goodness, does he care for you. And he's going to help you. I don't know how he's going to help you. He may, may help you exactly like you think he should. He may help you in the most surprising way. He may help you through another person he sends to you. He may not send a raven. He may send a human being. He does that a lot. He may help you by changing your thoughts. He may help you by sending an angel to you. He may whisper words of encouragement. He may give you peace when it doesn't make any sense for you to have peace deep inside your soul. One of the things I always pray for people who are really struggling is that God would do this miraculous work deep inside them and give them peace that doesn't even make sense. I read the story of a man who was captured by the Taliban. He was a Christian missionary, and he was marched up onto this cold mountain, and he thought he was going to die. And that first night, it's cold, and, um, and he kept being thankful as he was in this place, it was so cold out night, and he thinks he's going to die, and he kept being thankful for the warm sweater he had. But then when he had that thought, he would reach and he realized he didn't have on a sweater. And all through the night, God provided actual warmth for him. That's the peace that that is so deep in our soul that kind of goes out and even impacts the physical. Isn't that amazing? God will help you. He He will do some miracle, something incredible, something supernatural in your life. We, we, we don't know exactly what it's going to be, but we know he's near. We know he cares. We know he helps. So what do you do about it? Let me just offer 
two things for you. First, you trust. You trust that God is, is near and cares and is going to help. And here's the thing. I can even make the case that Elijah still trusted God. I mean, he was low, and he said, my life is nothing, and I kind of just want to die. But again, who did he say it to? To the Lord, it says. So even in his lowest moment, he's still talking to the Lord. And you know what? God is big enough to handle your complaint. So talk to him. Visit with him. Be honest with him. Don't try to clean it all up. He knows your heart already, okay? Be honest with him. So trust. And if you come in this low point, trust. And I just want to encourage you to do one other thing. Be extra kind to other people. And I say this kind of as, a, as, a, as someone who cares about you and as a, a pastor, a shepherd, as an elder at this church. It is so easy when we are weary and tired to leave like collateral damage all around us because we, we get short with people when we're tired and we get frustrated with our kids because we're just kind of spent and so we blow it as parents or we blow it as children or as friends or at work or in church and it's so easy when we're tired just to kind of be rude with everyone else because we're having our own little pity party. I'm actually kind of glad that Elijah was by himself because there wasn't anybody left for him to offend. <laughs> it's probably a good thing. It was probably God's grace that he was by himself there for just a little while. And God could handle it. He could speak to God. But I want to encourage you, if you come weary, just ask for God's extra grace in your life that you're not going to say something today that you're going to regret for weeks and months and years because that can happen. So trust and ask for an extra measure of God's kindness in you even though you're at a low point in life. Brian Jones says this, whatever you're facing, the path forward is almost always found by slowing down. See, I, I'm wired to think that whatever I'm facing, the path forward is always by speeding up, by fixing everything, or, and, and sometimes God is calling us to, to work diligently, but, but what God first wants me to do is to slow down all my busy thoughts of me trying to fix everything and just, just go sit under a tree and talk to him, to listen to him, and to be still and to slow. And if you are tired today, I know that your mind often feels like it's going a gazillion miles an hour and it's cluttered with all kinds of stuff. And I just want to invite you to slow down, to be calm and quiet. I, I even want to help you do that this morning. I want to just invite you, wherever you are, to just have some moments of quiet meditation on these Bible verses I read to us. If you want to close your eyes, that might help you here for a few moments. I, I know that many of you feel weary. So just let these words soak in, these words of God to you. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Psalm 37. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Psalm 46. Be still 
and know that I am God. True rest only comes from God. True replenishment only comes from God. True healing from your weariness only comes from God. If you would, would can we just stand together? When I sent an email out earlier this week just announcing what I was going to be preaching about, I got some replies back to that. And what I heard was some of you saying, I am so tired. And I wasn't even sure that I could make it another day. But I think God wants to say something to me on Sunday. And before that and after that, I hope too. And so I'm looking at your faces knowing that when I finished writing this sermon, I was thinking about those emails and those, those of you who feel so low and like you weren't even sure you could make it until today. You're here. And God's grace is enough for you to fill you back up. He's there. He's right with you. And he cares for you. And he's going to help you. And as a church family, we want to help you too. And so we want to look around today. Look around before you leave. Care for one another. get, Get your mind off of your own thoughts just enough to look around and see who needs me to show them compassion today. Maybe you need to go sit underneath a tree with somebody today and just be there for them. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This morning, if you have never found the ultimate rest for your soul, at least the ultimate that we can experience right now on this earth, in this moment, that comes from Jesus, and it only comes from him. And he would love to be with you and to forgive you of your sins that are such a hang-up in your life and dragging you down and completely forgive you and give you life and a hope for the future. If you would like to make that decision, I'm going to ask an elder or two to to come down and be up front. And they'd be willing just to pray with you and talk with you. And even after the service, if you want to find somebody, if you want to mark on your communication card that you want someone to talk to you, we would love to find someone to sit underneath the tree with you and help you. So those options are there for you today. Let's pray. God, let's, um, we, we just come and say we're tired. We've experienced this and we, we hurt for the people to our left and to our right who are struggling today. I know not all of us are, but enough. And you know exactly who they are. And I pray in this moment they would know you are near. And I pray for them an hour from now and tomorrow morning when they wake up and before they go to bed, they would know you are near and you care for them and you help them. And I pray for anybody who wants to make a decision to give their lives to you so that they can know your presence, to know your forgiveness. I pray today would be a day for that great celebration. In Jesus' name, amen.